Hey, welcome to the Impact Podcast by Youthopia. Join me in meeting the youth of Singapore who are making a positive impact to the world around them. So our guest for this episode is Victor Ju. Victor is the founder of Hatch, which is a social enterprise aimed at equipping youths with different skills in digital marketing, user experience and user interface design. So hi, Victor. Nice to have you on the show for today. Hi, Nicole. So could you start off with like telling me a bit about yourself? So I'm Victor. Um, so I'm 26 this year. I started working on Hatch about three years ago. What I felt quite strongly was that as a fellow young person, when we look at the career aspirations of people, I think because Singapore is so qualification-driven, we look at jobs in terms of degree jobs, diploma jobs. And I guess like the unspoken thing is that we see certain jobs as jobs that are left for people without academic qualifications. So that, that, that was something that didn't really make much sense to me. I think what I was seeing around me was a lot of young people who were not pursuing what they're interested in, what they're passionate about, just because they did not fall within this qualification track. And sometimes when you don't fall into it, there's also really no path for you to go back onto it. Mm. So if, you know, if your GPA is not good enough, you just can't see yourself going into, say, becoming a digital creator, digital marketer. That, that didn't really make much sense to me because I feel that young people have that potential. And I think that like on an objective level, if you give them the right environment, the right resources, they can really like hone that skill and become very valued employees in companies. Mm. Tell me how Hatch came about. <laughs> so there was this group of three of us and then we, 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 we all sat together in a hostel room one day and then we asked ourselves like, you know, why is it that youths are being put into this mindset that they are for, like if, if you don't have a good, you're not down this good qualification pathway, you're bound for low or semi-skilled or gig economy jobs. And we're just like, okay, it does, it's not right and it doesn't make sense. Mm. So we started working on some plans, created a WhatsApp group, uh, named it World Domination. <laughs> and essentially it was talking to enough people. Eventually, the ones who listened and the ones who continued working with us were the ones who matter. Mm. And we kind of just grew slowly from there. Mm. It's very interesting because I understand that you have a degree in something that's completely <laughs> unrelated to entrepreneurship, digital marketing. How did that kind of end up this way? Yeah, so um, I studied, I majored in quantitative finance in NUS. Mm -hmm. So for just, just a very, very quick summary of what I studied, um, it's mathematics, statistics, computing and finance kind of all combined into one degree. I, I, I think that it's not really that far off from what I'm doing now, in fact. So right now, my, my main job in the company is to always look at how can we position, how, how can we be strong and innovative as a company to do the kind of impact work that we want to do? Oftentimes, it falls back to understanding value. I think there is um, different kinds of value. There is business value, there is monetary value, and there is social value. Some of the things that we do now is how can we translate all of these different kinds of value that people want into social good. That's a very, very um, hand-wavy kind of way of saying that it's, it's important to understand how, how money works and to see how money can be translated into making good things happen. Okay, so on this episode, I think what we'll be talking about is the challenges of finding yourself as an individual in the working world, touching a bit about career development in the modern world and kind of defining what success looks like. So can you define or explain to me what conventional success looks like in the career space? 
I think that I think that most of us have a certain conception of what jobs are. Mm-hmm. So these are kind of like opportunities where we go into after we finish education. We go to work, we get paid, and then with the money that we get, we get to do different things. And I think conventional success is about how well you get paid, how much you are respected in your job. I think, especially in possibly an Asian or Singapore context, um, we don't see satisfaction as that that much of a emphasis. Mm. Um, we've always seen it as a good to have that. Mm. Um, maybe only some people can have that luck or luxury to mm. have. That's the conventional success. Mm. And what is your alternative, or like what do you think should be success? I think that success could be more could be more simply thought of as what is it that an individual wants. So if an individual subscribes to that conventional success, then I think that individual should be given that option to pursue it. But I think that, you know, if to the individual fulfillment matters, if to the individual family matters, if whatever is it that matters, the individual should be able to pursue and to make decisions that maximizes those indicators. Mm. Is there a particular reason why you your social enterprise focuses on like digital marketing and UI, UX, which is user experience and user design? Yep. User interface design, sorry. So the, 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 the mission is very straightforward that we want to make career development, we want to make good and meaningful jobs as achievable and as accessible as possible. What that means is that we want to be looking at sectors whereby for anybody with that motivation and interest, they can enter it and that they can become good at it. By that parameters, right, what we are left with is first, we're looking at job markets, job sectors that are growing mm. because they have to be growing to be able to absorb this new talent. Mm. And that leads us to digital and design. Furthermore, I think in Hatch, we have this thing whereby we want to make sure that we can really cater to everybody who comes through our doors. Whatever qualification they come in, um, whatever prior background, skills, knowledge, whatsoever, as long as they say that, they say today that, okay, I want to become good at this career pathway, we want to make sure that at the very least, we are selling something that exists, which was how we ended up at very portfolio-driven kind of roles. So if we're looking at digital marketing and user interface, user experience design, these are instances where evidence of past projects is highly valued by employers. I think that in Singapore, we are not going to escape this whole qualification lens of looking at jobs. But these are the sectors that when we speak to hiring managers, to employers, portfolio matters more to them. And if they have a good portfolio, employers are very easily willing to forego that qualification barrier. Mm. I have two follow-up questions to that. I think the first is um, this whole idea of like uh, having a portfolio to basically back up you as an individual and to tell companies why you should hire you, right? Can this be applied across like all sectors? Because it does sound as if like maybe jobs that require a bit more like artistic background might require that or might be more relevant to a portfolio. And I think the second thing is, is it only portfolio that you guys are focusing on in adding to um a person's academic like qualifications when they are going for like job experiences? Yep. Um I, I think I can answer those two questions together. So I, I think the the word that we're really should be focusing on is value. Mm. Um if we put ourselves in the shoe of the company, mm. what we're seeing is that for, for these companies they want people who can do the work that needs to be done. What this entails is some forms of technical skills, mm. some forms of soft skills. So what portfolio does is that um, it is a proxy that shows evidence of first the technical skills 
right? And second, the fact that you have a portfolio means that there's some work that has to be done. It's also a proxy for soft skills as well, because otherwise the work is not going to be done even with that technical bits. It's true. Um, so I, I think like when we're looking at job sectors, there are certain sectors that are more portfolio-centric, like you correctly mentioned, the artistic sector, right? I think in every sector that we look at, we got to see like what is what exactly is the technical skill, what exactly is the soft skills. There are certain career pathways that, that are limited to qualifications, and we got to acknowledge that you can't have a portfolio of performing surgeries, right? In the same way that you can't have a portfolio of doing accounting for companies. Mm. But that said, I, I do think that a lot more can be explored beyond looking at the current standard qualifications that we're looking at. Mm. So I, I think my follow-up question to that is how does Hatch kind mm. of do that? Or like what does success mm. look like to you guys in, in that regard? Yeah, so at the very beginning, I mentioned that before we start any new programs, we want to make sure that there are good jobs at the end waiting for the students who enter into it. How Hatch designs our programs, we actually reverse engineer the program design from the jobs that exist. Mm. So we start by speaking to companies, asking them, you know, first it's like, what are the recurring positions that you are consistently not able to find candidates for? Generally, that leads us to some form of like digital and design types of jobs. Subsequently, we ask them, what is it that they're looking for in new hires? There's usually, the initial response is usually technical skills. So that is first and foremost important information to capture, you know, when they say digital marketing, what kinds of channels are they looking for in each of these channels? What is the degree of proficiency that they want? Down to the detail of what is the program that they use. What is often unsaid or usually comes later is um, the soft skills bit. So usually um, when we talk to companies, there are general challenges with onboarding people and there's challenges in like retaining talent as well. Mm. So with this, like we kind of have a, a very big data set of what companies want. Try to do some mapping. Every company wants different things. But a lot of these skills are actually quite transferable. If you're doing, say, UX, um, UI, wireframing, there can be five different programs that's out there, but actually they follow the same principles. Essentially, from all of these data points, we look at crafting a curriculum that best suits the needs of these companies that is achievable for students. And that's kind of how all the work that it's done before we even start enrollment. And with that, essentially, when students come in, they enroll, they pick up these technical and soft skills, at the end of it, if they meet with the training milestones, Hatch facilitates this placement process together back to the same companies that we sought these data points for. And for these companies, it's essentially a very customized service whereby they get this talent trained in a curriculum that they kind of asked for. Mm. I'm curious to know, because you mentioned that um, the whole premise of Hatch being a social enterprise, right, is trying to reframe the idea that paper qualifications are the only thing that matters when it comes to hiring individuals, right? But I think at the end of the day, it boils down to kind of like a mindset change as well. How do you guys tackle that as a company? It's quite difficult, honestly, because mm. like um, we're so attuned to seeing it in this way. Mm -mm. Um, a lot of people think that the hard part of doing Hatch is finding the companies to hire. That's actually not true. Like it's Companies are very readily willing to hire. A large part of the work that we need to do is to help the young people, um, you know, after they go through like 10 plus years of an education system that's telling them that they can't do it, to help them see that like ultimately these are digital marketing skills is just a skill that um, mm. you pick it up, you go through a lot of discomfort and you continue honing and improving along the way. Having them believe in it, it's often a very, very difficult first step. 
Mm. Yeah, so these are kind of like the two main things. Mm. Interesting. Okay, so I do want to talk a mm. bit about this exact target audience that mm. um you guys work very closely with. I think there are, it seems like, students from like polytechnics, NITEC and high NITEC who might be in a, exactly like you say, like a dilemma, right? On whether they should further their studies to pursue um, higher education, to pursue a certain skill set. Because I think, like you said, like our, our education system, after maybe not being so successful in it, might result in them taking a hit to their confidence. What kind of advice would you give to them? Or like, what are some instances where you have worked with individuals like this and how was it like working with them? Yeah, so this is something that we see quite often because like we, we, we work with quite a lot of students from IHR backgrounds. We, we also work with students from like non-IHR backgrounds. And this, there's always this question of like, do I go back and further my studies or do I continue working? Mm. I, I think the general approach is always that look at the problem very objectively. So the, the first bit is like, and, and this is a very important bit, which is remove all the voices of other people that has nothing to do with your career decision. A lot of times when, when people are looking at, I need to go back to school, it's, it's not that they need to pick up the skills. It's mm-hmm. that I need to go back to school so that I will have a qualification that I, my voice can be heard. Mm. Right? I can go to a Chinese New Year gathering and not feel like you know, the biggest failure of my family. Mm. The, the, the first thing is to remove that. And afterwards, I think there is a very objective question, which is what is it that going back to school can give you because it, it does give you um, technical skills. It does help you gain entry into jobs more. So to really break down into like these details and then also further weigh the cost of going back. What is the opportunity cost in, in the case of some students, like if you are entering back into the system after many years, how does that, what does that mean for you as an individual? And afterwards to look at this from this lens and I think whatever decision that um, the young person comes up with will be a decision that he or she will be able to live with very well. Mm. Okay. So tell me a bit more about some of the programs that Hatch has to offer. So Hatch runs a series of um, different types of programs. They all relate to employability. And our mission is to make career development as achievable and as accessible as possible. So at, at this moment right now, what we have is we have a range of open market programs. This caters to people who are very serious about entering the industry but ultimately, fundamentally, they know that this career development journey is not as straightforward or as simple as what is often marketed. Mm. Personal growth is unintuitive, very uncomfortable. Mm. I think where Hatch wants to come in is that, you know, we are that academy for that everyday folk. You could have been doing like rank and file kind of admin work for a long time. But you've always had this like interest in, say, digital marketing or UI UX. And this is, Hatch is the space of, we are the people who gives you the truth where the mm. people who knows what the companies want and tries to find that bridge in between. Mm. At the same time, what is very clear to us is that the kind of service that we're offering in the market is a premium service. And that kind of conflicts with what we want to do on our social mission that we want to make these quality programs accessible for all. So in this vein, what we do is um, we work with a lot of partners to make sure that nobody is excluded from these programs just because they do not have the means to pay or because they don't feel, because they're not in the right state of mind to even think of their careers. So we're very strong partners, those that work in the youth empowerment space mm. that we work with to curate customized programs for that group. Mm. Yeah, I, I think my question was just going to be like, I think when you are a person who maybe has lost motivation or you know confidence in yourself, you wouldn't think that 
I could become a white collar worker, right? I'm wondering how you guys empower them to believe in themselves or like to hone a certain kind of like interest and skill set in them. Yeah. Yeah. If we break down like what a white collar job is, I think there is this certain like status and capability mm. aspect of how we see it. But if you look at it in, in another lens, every job requires skills mm. and white collar jobs require white collar skills. And if you are a person who is driven and motivated, if you have an interest in it, there's nothing that's stopping you from picking up this same set of skills. Mm. So that's, that's kind of how we generally do all of our work, which is um, breaking down into very objective terms, giving full disclosure on the discomfort that comes with this process. And I think what you will see is that young people care about their careers and mm. they're willing to fight for what they want to do. Mm. And that's oftentimes what uh, leads to success. Mm. Let's talk a bit about like the job market during the mm. COVID-19 situation. I think first of all, like how was how did COVID impact Hedge first? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of, um, I mean, ba- basically when, when Circuit Breaker happened, all the companies, we were forced to discontinue with any physical um, activities. That affected us quite a bit because... It's actually not as easy as it seems to switch to translate training programs online. Yeah, for um, sure. There is a very heavy like human-to-human element in our work. Oftentimes, when you, you are trying to introduce discomfort, you need to build the trust first. Mm. And it's just a lot more difficult to build that trust through a screen. So that, that, that was kind of something that was difficult. What we did was for the programs that could be translated online, the heavily technical bits, we did that. And we kind of just paused that other bits first. Thankfully, we were soon approved to carry out um, in-person activities. And um, with safe distancing measures, basically, we, we moved back to these programs. And I think one, one of the things that we started to see was that um, in this upskilling and job training space, because suddenly jobs are a lot more uncertain, mm-hmm. and people start questioning about, you know, what are the job prospects of upskilling? And I think this this was an area, this was a time whereby you know, it, it suddenly became a lot more relevant that Hatch offers a placement service at the end of training. Mm. So in a way, like, it, it's kind of a lot more important now yep. because when, when people go for upskilling, like, they are concerned with these things. Mm. I think with regards to, about the COVID-19 situation, right, Um, I think not only were many individuals who were like fresh graduates were concerned about mm. getting new jobs, I think professionals were losing their jobs as well, right? How did you guys like kind of circumvent that or like help individuals who were kind of going through that kind of challenges and what were some um, tips or ways that you help them stay motivated and competitive in this situation? The sector that we operate in mm. is expanding. So there is no lack of jobs There is waiting at the end. Usually when individuals come to us, it doesn't take that long to identify what are the gaps that are remaining in their set of skills. So you, generally, our work involves helping them understand what these gaps are mm. for everybody that comes to us, right? And then um, in certain instances, enrolling in our program will help them. In some other instances, sometimes it's a mindset shift. Sometimes it's some very minute bits where they have to really like put in that effort to go and upskill themselves. Mm. And in those instances, they can do that on their own. Mm. I'm curious to know, I think um, I... I'm about to round up the conversation. Um, sometimes youths may not have the confidence to take that like leap of faith to either pursue a career or like to do something that is outside of the status quo in terms of like um what has been set in stone for them, like what society says they should do, right? What are some 
words of advice that you would give individuals like these and then how would you encourage them to take that leap of faith? I, I, I think that it's a very... It's it's first recognizing that it's not easy. Mm. I think each of us, to different extents, we are influenced by the people around us and you know how society sees us. I think what helps it's realizing that it is kind of our life that we have to live with for whatever decisions that we make now. What we often forget is that as a youth, as a young person, the decision that you make now is actually super important. Uh, it's way more important than what people tell you it is. The first five years of your career is where you pick up the skill sets that helps you to grow in the next five. Mm. And if as a, as a youth, you're pursuing an option that is safe, that is not actually what you want, you're going to feel it in the next five years. Mm. Right. But that said, I think it's, it's important to recognize that like, oftentimes it is a very difficult kind of decision to make. And I think the, 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 the other thing to recognize is that whether you're able to pursue something that you're interested in Privilege has a part to play in this because ultimately some people have access to the resources to explore and to grow. Some people don't. I think that seeing, having an understanding of how privilege plays is valuable, mm. even for the people who don't have access to their resources. So it's, it's, it's your way to see like for, for the decisions that you make, which parts of it was influenced by yourself. Those are the parts you want to remember. And which parts of it were influenced because you didn't have the access to resources. Mm. And with that, like, can you look at it with a more objective mind and to evaluate your decisions? Mm. Cool. Thanks a lot, Victor. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the episode. Very insightful. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This show was brought to you by Youthopia. This project showcases everyday Singaporeans that have made an impact in our society. Have someone in mind? Nominate that person at utopia.sg forward slash impact.